0: I'm so glad you're here with us on the Clark Howard show where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make and you can follow me at facebook.com/ Clark Howard. coming up today instead of a Clark rage we're gonna have a sizzling deal for you it's gonna fatten your wallet potentially and later the Federal Reserve raising interest rates again, That can be both a plus and a minus for your wallet. I want to tell you whether the trend is your friend or not with interest rates rising in the United States. So a big brouhaha about a federal court ruling that allows AT&T to get married to Time Warner. And a day out reading the media coverage of this is fascinating because a lot of the stories written are woe, woe is me, woe is you, woe is the United States of America, that this merger of AT&T and Time Warner is the end of life as we know it. Well, let me tell you something. That's not true. It is true that this is going to set off a wave of mergers and know this that when big entities merge, it is never out of strength, it's always out of weakness. I mean, let's take ATT. ATT is a mediocre operator with historically um, poorly managed operations, questionable customer service, a company that has a lot of trouble executing. And they're in areas that are in different levels of decline. So home phones, which is where AT&T originally built its business, is something that more than half of households don't even have a home phone anymore. You may not have had a home phone in years and years and years and didn't know anybody still did. And so that business is in decline. AT&T spent roughly $50 billion buying Direct TV. And all that's happened since they bought DirecTV is subscriber numbers have gone down and down and down. And then AT&T Wireless, which was looked at as the future, AT&T continues to weaken in wireless as others have been taking market share from them. So we have a company who everything seems to be rearview mirror. And then they decide to buy traditional cable channels. And that's an industry, obviously, in decline, as people disconnect and go to Netflix and other ways of getting content. I mean, you talk to people under 20, and their main go-to for video content is YouTube. I mean, they live on YouTube. And there will be other things that come up that don't even exist yet that will be places that people that are younger go to sample and access video. So here you have a declining industry meeting a declining industry and deciding to get married. And this is going to be followed closely by Comcast ending up buying a lot of content channels, probably from Fox. And there'll be one after another after another of what are known as roll-ups, where companies end up, getting together because they're all afraid of all the changes that are taking place so if you are fully embedded in AT&T's world you will likely as an AT&T wireless customer see a direct potential advantage moving forward with special streaming packages offered to you as an AT&T wireless subscriber and I'd say that's the most immediate potential consumer benefit. But when you look further, what will happen in any industry that is consolidating with companies that are in shrinking markets is they will try to maximize revenue from people who were creatures of habit. So if you look at these big mergers that are going to happen this year and next year, if you were someone who you do what you do, you have that that remote for whatever pay TV service you use, and you have your cell phone with whoever you have it with, and you just do what you do because that's what you've been doing, you're going to get clobbered in the wallet because these companies merging in these declining businesses are going to soak their most loyal customers, with steadily higher bills as you move forward. On the other hand, if you are someone who is willing to embrace alternative opportunities and change, the era we are in will offer you more choice and lower prices. I think about the people who have cut the cord from traditional pay TV and gone to streaming services and how much money they've saved. And people who've been willing to jump from cell phone provider to cell phone provider for whoever has the best deal. If you were someone who tends to be loyal, and you've been with, an example, the same cell phone carrier for as far back as you can remember, the reward for you is your wallet is going to get shredded. If you like traditional pay TV, and that's what you do, and you stay with who you're with, your wallet will be shredded again. I saw a chart today, I'm trying to remember which blog I saw it on, showing what the most loyal people are going to be paying for all these services per year in the future versus people who hop around and believe it or not, the most heavy consumers of video content, data, and communications will pay 14 times the cost of people who are willing to jump around, experiment, try different things, try different service providers. So remember this. Remember, be a free agent. Do not be a sitting duck. Do not allow any of these behemoths to take advantage of you, whether it's a monopoly phone company like AT&T, a monopoly phone company like Verizon, a monopoly cable company like Comcast or Charter, do not allow the monopolies to own your wallet. Be someone who's looking for the best deal, looking for new ways of doing things, and all you do is save money and have access to products and services that will be more innovative for your wallet and your time and your eyeballs. Tommy is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Tommy. Hi, how's it going? Great, thank you, Tommy.
1: What's going um, on? Hi, um, yeah, I'm calling because I'm kind of toying with the idea of um, returning to grad school. to get an MFA in order to become a college professor. Um, I have about forty thousand dollars in student loan debt right now, and I'm a little bit, not too much, but a little bit older than the average person entering that uh, entering into a graduate degree. And um, my concern here is that I keep hearing that there's a high rate of colleges and universities that are adjuncting most of their uh, professor, most of their faculty, and so I'm. I, in order to go to grad school, I'm looking into programs that would provide funding and possible TA stipendships, but I do know that it would more than likely require taking out some student loans for cost of living expenses. So, um, yeah, so you'd be looking kind of,
0: at, um, so you would be tuition free, potentially, because of being a, a graduate assistant? And
1: yeah, that would be my main goal.
0: Okay. So you'd have normal living costs... That you would have just for breathing like you would otherwise. But yeah, you wouldn't definitely. have a normal income to cover those.
1: Yeah, more more than likely not.
0: So is this gonna be a two year MFA? Yes. So that means over the course of two years you would likely borrow somewhere around twenty five grand?
1: Um, I mean I would attempt to keep it lower than that. I would try to get some sort of part time job, but I've Basically, want to be prepared because I know that expenses can come out of nowhere. Sure. So, so you'd yeah, end I mean, up, I, you'd end
0: up with your master's. Considering the the student loan debt you already have, you'd end up somewhere 60-65 grand. Yeah,
1: right in probably that around there.
0: Right. So, Tommy, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. What you said up front is true. That the college and universities, both private and state university systems, are moving away from tenure as much as they can, and using what is sometimes referred to as freeway professors as a way or freeway instructors as a way of being able to teach classes at the university level at a lower cost. So someone they may, uh, may teach, you know a course or two at one school. and you get on the freeway and you go to another school and you teach another course and on like that, and because you have no tenure, you're almost like an independent contractor. So this has to be a choice you're making because it's what you love. It can't Definitely. be, I mean, this puts you into uh, what used to be referred to as starving artist territory.
1: <laughs> it's true. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, my ultimate goal would be to attempt to gain a tenure position somewhere, but I know that, like I said, I got to be prepared for if that wasn't to happen. So I'm just kind of curious, like, sort of what the feasibility of, is of doing that and how much, how much debt I'm willing to take on as a result.
0: So my philosophy has always been do what you love, but you complicate it here. <laughs> fact that to do what you love you start negative 60 grand on day one so so you would have to be prepared to live a very frugal lifestyle yeah definitely and i would suggest talk to some adjunct professors and ask them is it really worth it if they had it to do over again would they do it would they live this life because the tenure track is brutally difficult to get on now
1: yeah that's a good point um yeah i mean most of them do most of them seem to love what they do um and i'm sure i would as well uh just uh yeah an issue of like what i'm what kind of lifestyle what kind of uh financial burdens i'm going to take on so so the
0: only alternative idea i'm thinking of just as we're talking is if you did your MFA over three years instead of two and that would afford you a little bit extra time that you could work while you're in school, maybe you could eliminate having to take on any more student loan debt and it would get you another year of of, uh, graduate assistantship under you which would give you another year essentially of experience teaching in the college classroom
2: Mm -hmm. because
0: anything i can do to discourage you from taking on more student debt is what i'd really like to do so that when you go into a life you love you're no worse off in terms of debt than what you are today before you start your quest for a master of fine arts Normally at this time, you would be hearing a clark Rages moment, but I'll tell you, when there's a sizzling deal, that's what you're going to hear from me. And today there is a membership price war going on with Costco and Sam's Club. They are both offering special deals for membership that you buy third-party, you buy indirectly, and so let's start with Costco, for which this is very unusual and this only applies to new members or people who have lapsed as members for a meaningful period of time that you're able to do this. The Costco deal, normally the membership is 60 bucks. You pay that, but then you get back twenty right away in a Costco cash card that you can use to shop. So that makes you net a forty. Then they give you $20 worth of AA batteries, and so that drops you to 20 And then in addition, they've got a bunch of other things they offer you that in theory nets you down to zero. The point is, it's a great deal, at least for the first year. We have links at ClarkDeals.com that take you directly to how you buy the special Costco membership. You cannot buy it directly from Costco or at Costco. You have to buy it through these links. Sam's Club that charges 45 for its membership is doing a deal right now for a $10 cash card netting you to $35 and then in addition has coupons that bring you down to an effective cost for your first year of membership of $7. So these are unusual and very good deals. You know, the thing for the warehouse clubs is membership retention is where it's really at. Costco, its most recent year, I think 93% of its members renewed. But the thing is, they need to expand their membership network, the overall number of members, knowing that more than 9 out of 10 are going to renew. Costco has never done this kind of thing with the indirect discounts of memberships till about oh a little bit more than a year ago they started experimenting with this. Sam's Club, if you miss this one, don't worry. They'll have another one before too long because it's routine for Sam's Club to offer these kind of deals. And there are so many different offers right now for memberships. I'm doing one with Brandless right now Because I have a daughter who loves the stuff from Brandless where I paid $15 for a year of membership and you order everything free shipping. Brandless, if you're not aware, every item is sold at $3. Whatever it is you're buying, the $3 translates into whatever quantity or size of something you're getting. And their whole shtick is that Everything is private label, is brandless, and that you are getting savings because you are buying something free of a brand label, a brand name, which is actually where retail is going in America. I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off and you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Federal Reserve continuing its process of raising interest rates, and this is going to continue because inflation is outside the target now in the United States. And over the last year, people's wages on average went up less than the rate of inflation. So for the first time in a decade Inflation is a factor, and so we will see, likely, a continuing gradual process of raising the interest rates controlled by the Federal Reserve. Now, let me tell you what that means as a practical matter for your wallet. Here's what's going up. Uh, You have a home equity line of credit. It will go up by a quarter point. Every time the Federal Reserve adjusts. And usually, depending on the l- contract language of your HELOC, you'll see that normally within a month or 90 days that you'll see that increase. Car loans will continue to go up in interest rate, and credit cards immediately reflect the increases that are adopted by the Federal Reserve because credit card companies years ago, switched to variable rates from fixed rates. And so they'll do uh, an index like prime plus 12 points or whatever it is. So every time the Federal Reserve raises the interest rates it controls, the prime rate that, in theory, is the rate at which banks lend to huge corporations. Huge corporations actually pay less than the prime rate, but anyway, that's the formula used When the Federal Reserve raises, then the prime rate goes up, then the rate you pay goes up. What will likely stay the same or go down, mortgage rates. And that's one that's always puzzled people. Why, if the Federal Reserve is raising the interest rates it controls, would mortgage rates stay the same or go down? The reason is is that when the Federal Reserve raises interest rates it has the effect of slowing the economy. When the economy slows some, it reduces the inflation pressures and then in turn means if I'm somebody who's willing to lend somebody money for 15 years for a mortgage or 30 years for a mortgage, I don't have to worry as much about what interest rate I charge you because inflation would devalue the payments I'd be getting from you. So when lenders that lend for mortgages know that the government is serious about reducing inflation then the effect can be lowering mortgage rates on the other hand if wall street crowd thinks oh they're not really serious about doing anything about inflation then mortgage rates go up even if other interest rates don't so they're not linked something that is linked savings rates If you go to an online bank, the highest interest rates being paid by online banks now above 2%. And after this latest Federal Reserve change, those rates will gradually move up. On the other hand, if you are wasting your time with money in a savings account at Bank of America, Chase, Citibank, or Wells Fargo, you are throwing money down a rat hole. Because they know that there are people who will not move their money to a place where they can get a better return. But setting up an account with an online bank is easy, easy, easy. You link it to your account with the bank that's not paying you any money on your interest. And then when you want to move money back and forth, it's a very simplified process. And your excess money, hopefully if you have some, can then earn over 2% instead of what the giant monster mega bank would pay you, which is maybe one one hundredth of 1%. Now, the giant monster megas aren't the only ones paying pitiful rates on savings. You could even be with a uh, bank that's smaller than one of the four giant monster megas and still be receiving essentially nothing on your savings. So that's why linking your checking account to one of the online banks, FDIC insured, is what you want to be about, and then you earn that better rate on your money. Over the next couple of years, what you can earn in savings accounts, barring an unexpected turn in the economy, is headed more towards historical norms, which would be somewhere around 5% is where we're likely headed but it's going to be a while from 2 to 5. Jessica joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jessica.
2: Hey. How are you?
0: Great. Thank you, Jessica. What's going on with you?
2: I am wondering, how do you feel about using an investment app for people who haven't invested in the market before?
0: Uh, Name some choices. What are you thinking of?
2: Um, I see a lot of, like, stash or acorns.
0: Oh, both of those are great because it allows you to start the process of investing. They make the investing choices really simple, and all you have to do is gradually build money into the apps. You only pay $12 a year to be a participant with stash or acorns. And I think they're both a wonderful outlet for you to build the habit of investing. And part of the whole um, architecture of both of these is to get you to live on less than what you make, take that less, and invest the difference.
2: Okay. And they do, like, they just put your money, like, I guess it's set on, like, um... Like cruise control, basically, where they just they exactly. do what they want with it? Okay,
0: Exactly. And so they're diversifying the money for you. So you don't really have to know anything about investing because they're taking care of that part for you. Okay. Now, they have a competitor mm-hmm. called Robinhood, which is a free stock trading app that you can have on your Android or iPhone. And Robinhood's different. You're actually picking the investments that you want to put your money in. So with Acorns and Stash, you don't even have to do that part. They just handle that.
2: Okay. Well, that's good because I don't know much about it.
0: Yeah, but you do know you'd like to save some money. Yes. So I love it. And the money you put into investments through Acorns and Stash, this is not money for you if you have something come up in six months or a year or two years That you want to draw on. This is money that you're putting aside and you're leaving for years to come.
2: Okay, and I guess what is that age? Like, I guess like after you retire, or do you know?
0: It doesn't have to be till you retire, unless you were doing some kind of retirement account. These are investment accounts, and so what you're what you're trying to accomplish is build up long-term financial security, one dollar at a time or even your change at a time that goes in and you build up investment positions that in you know in a short term you know investments can go up or down but over the longer haul which i would say is 10 years or longer your goal is to have money that you put aside materialize and grow into something meaningful for your life okay so i'm i'm all in with both
2: both of those. okay perfect sounds good thank well, you so best much to
0: you and i hope you're able to save a lot of money for your future steve is with us on the clark howard show hi steve
3: hi how are you
0: great for thank taking you my steve. Call. sure steve you're a
3: teenager oh no no i'm i'm calling about my teenager
0: oh okay because i thought yeah. wow you have such a grown-up voice for being a teenager
3: i wish i was <laughs> do you
0: do you wish you could go back to being a teenager
3: i actually wish i could go back to my 20s i'm 46 i wish i'd go back to my 20s
0: all right so i'll tell you the truth you know i'm about to turn 63 oh wow and, and the only thing that i wish was that when i woke up in the morning things didn't hurt
3: yeah <laughs> yes other I than that i'd career. say
0: the day i'm living is the best day of my life and Tomorrow will be a better day of my life than today, because, you know, I just love life.
3: That's a great outlook.
0: (laughs) So, I bet I'm jealous that you've got all these years ahead of me here, or behind me, or whatever. you got all that additional time before you... you, But but you said you're in your 40s, right? Yes,
3: 46.
0: So So you already grunt when you get up from the sofa.
3: I do. I have a very tough career that's uh, injured me a lot. uh, Really? What do you do? I'm a police officer in California.
0: Well, thank you for your service keeping us safe.
3: Oh, thank you. Thank you.
0: How many years do you have with the department you're with?
3: Uh, 17 years with the department here and then two years at another agency.
0: And do those uh, stack on each other for pension or did you start over when you started with the second police department?
3: Uh, started over with the second police department but uh, as I'm trying to examine I'm nine years away from retirement and I, when I examine it they it sounds like I I never took the money out of my um, retirement from the other one I just left it in there so it, no more contributions but it's just building up over time.
0: Well that's great so you'll have a teensy one from there and you'll have You're one from the department you're with for, you'll end up with 26 years service. Is that, I follow that math right?
3: Yes, 26 years service.
0: Well, tell me what you want to talk about with your teenager.
3: Yes. So I am trying to teach her the, my wife and I are trying to teach her the importance of saving, budgeting, finance, something that my mom preached. She's always been a lifelong fan of yours, but I was a stubborn kid and learned the hard way how important savings was. So I'm I'm playing catch up now, but she is actually an, into it and we just recently read an article on your site with regard to a 15-year-old saving 2000 a year for 7 years and how that could turn into being a million dollars at 65 if you invested in a Roth IRA or, or with the basic returns.
0: It's so ironic now. you're mentioning my how to be a millionaire chart because yeah. I think that stock market returns are going to be a little lower over your daughter's lifetime than they would have been even just a generation ago because of various factors going on with the economy. So I'm right. I'm almost ready with a new chart that would involve her to get to be a millionaire putting two thousand dollars a year in for ten years instead of for six but the Got math it. other than that it still works out the same where money put in young leads to enormous money later in life even if she never right. put another penny in so well, that's
3: is she working She's not working. She does odd jobs. She babysits. She edits movies. She wants to go to film school. And so she edits movies for her friends, and they give her money. Um, the family will donate money to her uh, for doing projects. So she creates this money, and she's very disciplined. And I didn't know if babysitting, house cleaning counted as an actual formal income. Or yeah, if she's, not, actually... if
0: she's not doing it for family, yes, it does. Okay. And okay. so she would be in a position to do a Roth IRA and okay. that would be the path that I would recommend and as she works more she's able to put more money into that and right. you know depending on family circumstances and the ability for a family to afford it I'm a huge fan of what I call the mommy daddy match which you may have read on my website Yes, and yes. you know that that to tell a teen what a great idea it is for them to save money they're like Wow, you're so clueless, aren't you? You know, oh yes. <laughs> but, but if you say, hey, you know, you save a dollar instead of spending it, I'm going to give you 50 cents, or I'm going to give you a dollar, whatever, you offer that match, if it's something you can afford, then it's tangible, it's real, there's an instant return on the money, and that money going into a Roth with your daughter being 16, the payoff down the road is fantastic.
3: Okay, I just didn't know if I, we needed to show proof of uh, employment.
0: So the hour. the main proof of employment is that it's reported. You know, she keeps records, and yeah. the IRS is not—they're uh, so short staffed now, especially they don't have the time to go hassle a teenager saying, "Well, prove to us you earned eighteen hundred and forty-two dollars last year." <laughs> but but yeah. keeping whatever documentation she can is a good idea even if it's just like if she keeps an electronic calendar just putting in she earned $18 today doing this and $14 the next day doing whatever and keeping a record of it is what I would say is the important thing and I think it's great that you are using your school of hard knocks as a way to teach her in your school with such benefit to her eventually down the road.
4: Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at Clark.com. Producer Joel asks it for you. Yeah, Clark, Donna wrote in and says, what do you think about umbrella policies? Uh, I took one out. They get really expensive and ours increased a lot this year and we didn't even use it. I'm ready to cancel. Well, the reason you have an umbrella policy and if you're not familiar with the term, it's a liability policy that sits on top of your life that protects you throughout phases of your life or things that might happen with your car, with your home, or whatever. And umbrella policies are generally pretty inexpensive. The first million dollars is usually a couple of hundred dollars, and each million after that is cheaper than the than the prior million. I think that if you have what's known as success tax in your life, meaning that you have a lot of things, you own a lot of things, you have investments. When you have a lot at risk, that's when having an umbrella policy becomes very important to sit as an overall shield or umbrella as a blanket of protection in your life. All right. Michael wrote in and said, what is the website? Again, I heard you mention about saving money on prescription drugs. Well, there are several. The one that you may have heard me allude to is GoodRx. That's the biggest of them. And so with GoodRx, you put in the prescription that you're interested in, and it will shop it at various places. And if needed, it'll give you a coupon code that you use to get it. And the irony of using GoodRx or one of its competitors is that often it will be cheaper with many prescriptions to fill them through one of the apps or one of the websites than it is to use your own pharmacy benefit you might have through your own insurance. All right, Clark, and real quick, John said, I wanted to thank you for your advice on timeshares. I listed my timeshare on the Tug site you suggested, and I was able to sell it. It took four months and cost me 110 bucks, but now I'm free of the annual fees forever. That's fantastic. It's always good to hear that people had success with timeshares, getting rid of them through the timeshare users group. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast of our show, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Whatever your favorite podcast app is, we're pretty much there. And whether you love what you hear from me or hate it, Take time to write a review, it's how we all learn from each other is
2: from those reviews.